welcome to the first Supercoach Champions podcast episode for 2021. This is the preseason. We're well and truly into the thick of it. The game is about to launch officially on Thursday, the 28th of January. So if you're listening to this, it might be Wednesday, Thursday. You know, it might already have launched already. So uh, look, you've got Catfish here. I'm joined by Bear as always. Mate, I feel like I haven't chatted you for ages. How's it going? Mate, I've been flat out, so didn't waste much time, um, got bub number two on the way, um, house is going up, all the stuff's getting in around it, Christmas was busy, um, yeah, I, I've even, even the scum boys, I haven't been in there as often as I used to be, so um, hopefully once the footy's back, I might try and find a bit of time, score a few brownie points and um, get back around it a bit. Dropping some bombshells right early in the first episode. So firstly, congratulations. That's really exciting. But what's this? I feel like you're, you're already lining up some excuses for, uh, you know, maybe another <laughs> subpar season after the shockers we had. Oh, mate, that was terrible. Uh, yeah, that was, nah. I'm, hopefully it won't be that bad again. But, um, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that shortly. Yeah, look, I think we'll we'll put up our hand and, and acknowledge we both had shockers, uh, me more so in particular, but uh, look, we'll spend a bit of time working through that. But look, I, I kind of flagged uh, in, in a rather cryptic tweet that we were coming back bigger um, and better for 2021. And I guess literally we are a bit better. So I want to introduce our third member of the podcast, uh, a familiar voice for some of you who may have listened to some other podcasts in the past, but we've got Serge Buster himself, Joe Fitz. Welcome aboard to the Champions Podcast. How have you been, mate? Very well, thanks, Fish. G'day, Bear. Um, let's just pump the brakes on literally better uh, until we've had a go uh, at how this runs, but very enthusiastic for the year. I did say literally uh, bigger. Um, sorry, oh, okay. I didn't mean better. Uh, I said better, but literally bigger in that we're now, you know, 33% larger than we were before. I'm, I'm happy with that. That meets the literal definition. Thanks, Wilf. That's it. This is, this is how we roll in the Champions podcast. But look, uh, I won't beat about the bush. Just for those who don't know you, uh, maybe they haven't heard you in the past, tell us a bit about yourself. So firstly, what do you get up to when you're not playing Supercoach? Uh, when I'm not play, playing Supercoach, obviously watch a lot of footy. Um, I've got a six-year-old girl married and very, very busy with work, as I know the both of you are. Um, been playing Supercoach since 2012, I think, um, since the days of you know me bringing Tom Humble in uh, off a tip and thinking that I'd won the comp off the back of it. Uh, one of the most infamously poor cash cows in uh, Supercoach history. But, mate, um, I've done a little bit of work uh, with some of the other Supercoach pods uh, for a few years there, was doing the SC Talk podcast. And some other listeners might know me as uh, the bloke who puts the uh, or did put the Ten Commandments of Supercoach together uh, for about seven or eight years. Yeah, look, I think um, for those, maybe they might not recognize the voice, but they've certainly, I doubt there's not many super coaches out there who haven't read the Ten Commandments at some point, whether it was just for uh, the laughs, because you you always had a had a knack of making it. I mean, every time I read it, I, I literally would laugh out loud uh, because you, you certainly have a way of words. And uh, yeah, looking forward to you bringing some of that dry humor to the audio format as well. 
Looking forward to it, mate. Bear and I were talking before the podcast had started recording. We've both had a non-zero amount of adult beverages, been in the pool, sunburn on a public holiday. So, yeah, let's have some fun. Mate, I was just wanted to say that was, um, I, I reckon, where a lot of um, people got the, their start into Supercoach as well, coming around that Supercoach talk site. So, yeah, that's that's definitely where I started off as well. And there was some good info there, some good boys. So, um, it's good to have Joe on board. Cheers, mate. Absolutely. So, you know, it sounds like we've brought on someone who's very experienced uh, for Supercoach, who's experienced in writing about it and also talking about it. So uh, fingers crossed it pays off uh, because right now you're the one redeeming fact about our podcast who can probably say you're in the top 2% as opposed to us. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, all, we're all due an off year. Uh, guys, but yes, my twenty four hundredth uh, does does pace the three of us. Yeah, which is kind of kind of sad because it wouldn't have last year, but it, I mean the year before. I keep getting I keep keep calling twenty twenty uh twenty twenty nineteen last year, but I'll get out of that habit soon enough. But yes, so you're in the twenty four hundreds, guy. Where did you finally finish up? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Come on, mate. If I can tell people, I almost broke twenty three thousand. Uh, I finished at 22,944. Surely you can let them know where you finished. Uh, uh, around about 9,000 plus a bit. Yeah. So look, full transparency on this podcast uh, because we I, I have to say we, we do know what we're talking about, but we're not going to beat about the push and, and pretend we're not, you know, playing the game our own way and trying to obviously do our own thing and, uh, you know, sometimes we don't take our own advice because I think a lot of people who did listen to us took our advice, uh, finished well ahead of us. So, you know, we'll obviously dissect what went wrong from our own uh, teams and our own decisions and things like that as well. But this is probably a good time to really quickly shout out to, uh, well, two of our champs who finished, uh, who, who had come on board at the start of, start, start of last year. So Peter, the coach of Knuckle Draggers, and Brendan, the coach of Batting Marins, finished uh, 579th and 625th. So they were the ones who you know, started the season as a champ. Uh, that's one of our Patreon subscribers and you know, had a pretty successful season um, by, by all accounts. Uh, we did have a couple who joined midway through the season and they finished a little bit ahead of those guys. But yeah, I can't. I mean, we, we've got to give credit to the guys who, who were with us from the start of last year. And just a final shout out also to Ben, the coach of Juice Grillers. Uh, who was the winner of our group competition. He came 11th, and he was just nine points off that coveted 10th spot. So, uh, you know, fantastic season. Uh, pity he didn't sneak into the big cash, uh, but, you know, you did win a Supercoach Champions ring. So uh, please, Ben, hit me up uh, on Twitter at CatfishSC or wherever you might find me on Facebook or whatever. Uh, we'll need to talk about how to get that ring to you. So... No doubt we'll be keen to see you wearing that uh, if you can shoot us a picture of it later as well. But look, let's jump straight into dissecting 2020. Um, like I said, we, we will talk about what went right, what went wrong. So Joe, let's start with yourself as the best performing person on this podcast right now. Uh, what went right for you in 2020? I think, I, look, it's guns and rookies tends to be the the tried and true strategy as as everyone knows but i thought with the they flagged the increase into the pace of the game 
so really started with a bunch of mid ranges and uh, and kind of eased off on those top tier uh, guns and their price. So people like you know your Patrick Carrigans, your Lomaxes, Kurtmans, um, you know th- those kind of blokes. There, I really relied on them to kind of get me through George Williams, etc. Um, the first half of the season and. You know, we just saw that with the pace of the game, the tide really rose and it was the mid-ranges that were increasing in the value. So my team value in the, in the opening week started going through the roof and, you know, was able to kind of capitalise on that. And it was only my, you know, silly captaincy choices that kind of kept me back in the pack. All right. So I guess to summarise, uh, you nailed a lot of your starting team. Uh, you picked the right mid-ranges. The cows you did jump on uh, went gangbusters and made a lot of team value for you quickly and uh, maybe the difference between you being in the 2400s and a top 1000 finish or even higher sounds like uh, captaincy was the, the stumbling block for you yeah i i think uh infamously kaylin ponga uh was the fourth most popular captain i think in round eight uh the top three captaincy choices all turned up and ponga got a seven and I, uh, I was behind Ponga, so I think I dropped about 20,000 spots just in one week. So, you know, but that's what Supercoach is all about. You know, you make a call one way or the other and, and it can cost you. So, um, look, a good year. I nailed the strategy to start and I think, um, you know, that advantage is probably gone because the cat's out of the bag on the speed of the game now. So we're going to have to look for other edges. All right, that's great insight to see how, um, you know, you obviously took advantage of uh, certain things. And um, you ran with it, guy. What what went right for you? And unfortunately, we do have to talk about what what went wrong as well, mate. Pretty much nothing went right from ha- oh, like having blokes like Lomax to start, Kurt. Man, I mo- I moved away from that. I moved into trying to go a bit more um, expensive in the centres, where I've never done that before. Um, captaincy options didn't. I, I don't think I I picked a real good captain and the times I did everyone was on him anyway um yeah just it just mate nothing went right really and it it just all went backwards so I'm going right back to um my favorite strategy of stacking the forwards and sheep in the backs so I mean you did talk about not much going right but I think one of your earlier calls uh in in Round three, coming back from the COVID break, five trades, you were all super gung-ho about just loading up straight up on Teddy and Turbo. I'd have to say that was probably, you know, that did go right for you. It was a pretty good call for you. Uh, so, you know, you got to give yourself a little bit of credit uh, because that's one thing I certainly didn't do. And, you know, I have to say it's probably a big reason why you did finish a fair bit ahead of me. So yeah, you can't you can't say nothing went right because nothing going right is what my season looked like really. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, all right, I'll, I'll give myself a little bit of credit in that I chased after some pods who did go all right. You know, jumping on Angus Crichton super early, um, Latrell Mitchell when he was firing with a couple of early tons before he you know disappeared into irrelevance and injury later. Uh, a couple of those guys I, I managed to nail, but. Uh, I think for me, the biggest issue, you know, like Joe, I did take a gamble in a couple of mid-ranges, but for every Kurt Mann that Joe probably started with, I had a Wonga Blake or a BJ Leilua or, or basically, you know, a horrible option instead who, you know, did the opposite of uh, going well, scoring well and, and making money. So 
I was uh, spent a lot of time chasing my own tail. I think, you know, as I slipped further and further back, I, I think, yeah, I just really went away from my usual processes. The, the fact that last year we had so many trades, I mean, basically in our max trade every week, except um, two weeks was just ridiculous. Like, so my usual trading hesitations and, you know, my careful calculations of how to use trades, I just, that all just went out the window for me. And I mean, I have to say, I've always been a, a much better buy period planner. So losing the buy rounds, um, that certainly hurt my usual, you know, get, it, it certainly made it harder for me to catch the pack, which um, that would have been one, you know, series of rounds where I always you would count on being able to chase up and, and catch up to, to, you know, to, to, to the bulk of super coaches. And yeah, so, you know, plenty of things went wrong for me. A uh, few things went right, but I think for me, the best thing I've got to do is just go back to my usual processes, the the types of players I look at, the types of players I like to have in my team. Uh, and it's usually all about that base. So yeah, that's uh, my, my 2021 Supercoach resolution for the year. So no doubt if you guys, if I stray from that, you guys will whack me over the head and get me back on the straight and narrow for that one. Okay. Counting on you both. Hey, just um, while we're talking about this, I know he doesn't finish as high as he used to, especially with like um, the back sort of taken over now. But one bloke no one really talked about or moved away from, and he ended up coming 13th in points overall. Have a guess who it is. Jeez, that's a 13 points overall. Joe, do you, got, do you have any ideas? Mate, we're deep in the preseason. Um, I've got absolutely no idea. <laughs> so he used to, but he used to be nearly first picked in everyone's team. Comes from Manly. Oh, Jake Turbo. Yeah. Oh, Do you wow. know? I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't realise that. I was just quickly having a flick through before we came on. And this is what I mean about going away from like those real guns. Like, sure, he you you didn't look at him going, oh man, he's had a big year, but he ends up up in the 13th, like if you pick the 13th over most overall points in your team, like you'd, you'd, you'd would have thought, um, I'd I, I had a better year than him, but the only reason he did was probably cause you could have him in the centers, but overall points, he got edged out. Just Jeez. stuff like that, that yeah, I, I was overlooking. That's what I mean about moving away from, um, my strategy that I normally follow. So yeah, that, that was pretty interesting to me just flicking through before. Yeah, certainly there's there's a lot to dissect from the 2020 season. And I think that's a that's a good segue to our, uh, you know, I guess the main thing I want to talk about today as we prepare. I know people are jumping out and it's great. So many Supercoach podcasts out there now. There's a couple more that have popped up. And yeah, look, um, you know, start start checking them out. I think it's good to, to listen to more and more stuff out there. But people are jumping straight in talking about players and things like that. And for me, let's take a step back because... There's a big question that I want to ask both of you about 2020, and that's whether or not 2020 is an outlier season for Supercoach. Let me elaborate a little. So first and foremost, um, obviously, you know, there's a few things unique about it. One, we played two rounds, then we had like a two and a half, three month break before round three. Now round three, we got five trades. And in that break, we also had rule changes. We went from two refs to one ref and all sorts of other things that happened. Plus then there was all these COVID-19 uh, restrictions, protocols, training adjustments. Teams went through a whole heap of things. And then it, the, the, obviously from Supercoach super perspective, 
we're used to 26 rounds and then 25 rounds. We're now 20. So a lot of things changed for that, first and foremost. Now, for 2020, 21 players averaged above 70, 70 and above. And I've excluded excluded Charlie Stans and Sam Williams because they only played two and one games respectively. Now, 21, you might think, okay, yeah, it was a high-scoring year, but that's 11 players more than 2019. In 2018, only five players averaged 70 and above. 2017, only six, uh, sorry, only 11 players averaged 70 and above. And 2016, only 12. So, you know, even if you look at the last four or five years, that's nine more players than any other uh, year averaging 70 plus. So my question to you is, was it solely the rule change? Uh, and Joe, you alluded to the fact that, you know, you thought the game was going to be faster. Now, is it the rule change alone that contributed to this or is it more of the other things I mentioned on top of the rule change? Because to me, answering this question and what you think about this question will probably determine what you think about a lot of the players for Supercoach, a lot of the teams from an NRL perspective. And I think it'll have a pretty big impact on what, how we look at you know structuring our teams for uh, for for the 2021 season and and looking at the the year, generally speaking as well. So, uh, look, I know I've just loaded a whole heap of things on you there, but look, Joe, I'll start with yourself. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? I think it was definitely an outlier, not necessarily for all the reasons that you're talking about. Um, for me, the biggest thing, particularly after the COVID break, you know, going to one ref and and all that kind of stuff, and the you know, mid season rule changes, was that all of the players were priced on the previous year, which was not quite a different game, but it was certainly a much slower one. So, you know, you look at Payne Haas, who was all the way through the year, the number one prop, he was the number one prop last year. Well, he lost a hundred K in value while still averaging over 75. Um, The reason for that is, is that everyone else was averaging, you know, so many other players were averaging over 70, like you said, uh, which was a function of the increased game speed. And it meant that a lot of people's kind of strategies were out the window very much so early on because their team values weren't able to keep up with the people who started with those mid-ranges and kind of benefited from a free, you know, 100K uh, once their value started skyrocketing because, you know, the game was just so much faster and benefited, um, you know, tactically that way so i think it's definitely an outlier i think the the good news for us is that we've got a little bit more certainty in that the game's unlikely to be so dramatically different uh as it was from year to year the previous season so we kind of the values are a bit more accurate and reflect what we should be able to see and we can we can kind of look at this person getting 10 minutes a game extra or this person getting a starting slot over a bench spot and you know we can accurately predict what that might do impact score uh in his value and his score so it definitely was an outlier i think there's a little bit more normality here but i don't think the the speed of the game's going away okay i think that's a that's a really interesting insight there so to you, um, you know, given that prices uh, should naturally correct, given you know 2021's prices for players are much more reflective of obviously the scoring we saw in 2020, are you expecting for 2021 more players, you know, maybe not 21 players above 70, um, but uh, you're probably more than 12, right? Closer to 20 
than it would be to the previous seasons. Yeah, I think I think the overall kind of scoring in the aggregate will remain roughly the same, assuming again no weird mid-season rule changes again. Um, but I but the challenge is going to be is that everyone's now priced at that, and we've got a better idea now that um, you know backs are. Uh, scoring proportionately higher, um, and you know your middle forwards uh, are doing proportionally better than than your edge forwards and stuff like that. Um, that's all baked into the price now, so I think it's just going to be a bit harder to find that edge uh, than it was last year if if you kind of got on the right horse early. All right, that's really interesting, Guy. What are your thoughts? Look, I I think. I think a, a bit, like a fair bit of it, obviously has to do with how quick the game sped up, and yeah, obviously a lot of teams got caught on the hop because it was all about the wrestle, and their their forwards were built a bit bigger to try and win the wrestle in the middle. I, I think the preseason you'll see they'll they'll come back a bit more slim to try and deal with the speed rather than trying to um, win the middle through wrestling now. So obviously a lot of these. Fords will have to strip a little bit of weight to keep up a bit more. But a big one for me, though, too, was is the disparity in talent in the competition. So, obviously, I gave it to Damien Cook a bit last year. And um, obviously, he, fin- he still finished pretty high up the ranks. But you go through his um, scores each round, and he feasted on the poorer teams. Even um, Nofaluma... Um, if if you go through his scores real quickly, I'll just rattle a few off. He he got 109 versus um, the Dragons, under 60 versus Newey when they were pretty good at the start of the year, 88 versus the Sharks, who weren't that great, 96 versus the Gold Coast, only 49 versus Canberra. Then he went up to 78 versus uh, Cowboys, 116 versus the Dogs, 40 versus Penrith, 63 versus South, 88 versus Broncos, back down to a 70 versus Paro, who were a bit better, 67 versus New Zealand, and it just goes on, 134 versus the Bulldogs, then back down to 60s versus Sydney and uh, versus the Roosters and South and the 25 in there versus Melbourne. So I think um, the disparity in talent is also playing a big role, especially with these backs. Um, who are getting multiple tries when they're playing poor defensive sides. So I, I think looking at um, the rosters and the schedules for the teams might be a um, big issue leading into this year as well. So for you, I think it seems like the takeaway is maybe focusing a lot more on you know, identifying which teams are going to struggle most in defence. And you know, you're saying that, good teams will really beat up the bad teams and obviously the Supercoach scores will reflect that. Yeah, well, so. the, yeah, and there's been a disparity for a while, but it just seems like last year there there's a clear line between, like there's a big gap between those top teams and the real bottom ones. And like it, they're running up the scores. So obviously um, for Nofaluma who averaged, what, a 75 He's scoring 109s, 116s, 134s against real bottom four teams. And you you might want to look at guys like that who might have a better chance. So I just think talent, like along with the speed, how it's sped up, I think the talent disparity and moving forward to it could just be even worse. See, to me, like I wonder though, because, and I know this is, you know, again, as the resident Broncos fan here, um, 
beat up on the Broncos all you want because they were absolute pus. But people forget in rounds one and two, they they came out and played like a decent team. In the preseason, people looked at that roster and said, this is a top eight team. Some so-called NRL experts were saying Broncos might finish top four. So, you know, for that to suddenly swing to, well, let's face it, they, they were by far the worst team in the NRL after from rounds three onwards. Like, it's such a huge change. And I think it, it, it's clear, like what you said, some of the forwards, like guys like, um, you know, Lodge, and you know, even to some extent, like someone like Payne Haas, who's who's big but still mobile, like he he was better last uh, in 2019 because his his size and mobility still had a lot of impact. He's still good, don't get me wrong, but I feel like just the, the rule change and, and the speed of the game itself kind of slowly nullified a little bit of his impact. So he went from being, you know, an out-and-out absolute super impactful player on the field to one who was still good, still always going to be one of the best players from the Broncos on the field. But, you know, the best player in the Broncos is not exactly a high, you know, it's not a huge yardstick there to measure against. So well, I think Wolf, I'll, I'll where... say it, I'll say it because you can't, because you're a Broncos fan. Um, the Broncos were the bookies third favorite after round two and the game got paused for COVID. They were third favorite in the comp. And then obviously things fell away. But I think lost in everyone who isn't a Broncos supporters, you know, cackling with laughter at their misfortune. I've never seen an injury list like that ever, ever, ever. People whinged about the Roosters. If you mapped, you know, there were times when I think it was 17 of the Broncos top 28, 30 players were out for the game. Uh, you know, for multiple weeks at a time as well. I've never seen an injury list like that. So most people didn't want to hear those excuses from Broncos fans and fair enough because, you know, they've, they've been living at large basically since they came into the comp. But, I mean, injuries was were pretty crazy, let's be fair. Thank you for someone at least speaking some truth about the, the Broncos season because, look, you know, I... I crapped on the coaching and, you know, I, I tried not to talk about the injuries too much because at the end of the day, like they still had a pretty good roster. Um, you know, sure. Some of the teams they put out uh, were pretty gross, but like, you know, not to have a crack at the Seagulls, but the Seagulls often had a, a, a back five that was just, you know, partially reserve grade, but they still got things done. So yes, injuries are excuse, but I feel like it, it, it shouldn't have excused some of the performances that the Broncos put out there. So whether that's purely just a coaching thing or it's injuries plus they're not being coached properly or I don't know, it's just, uh, it's really hard to tell. There's no, there's, there's no leader there. Or the ones, the ones that look like they can are too young at the minute. Yeah, so there's a lot, a lot of problems at the Broncos. But in a normal year, where there isn't a COVID break. I don't know if they win the wooden spoon, but it's obviously happened. Like we, we'll never know. We could play what ifs all day, but you know, I, I think to maybe that's a, a good thing to focus on for a little bit because a lot of people are assuming the Broncos are automatically going to be, uh, you know, 15th or 16th again. And I can certainly see the reasons why, um, you know, that same roster, um, they've now lost David Fafita. Katoni Staggs, one of our best players, he's out injured. He might not be there for round one. Uh, there's a lot of question marks, obviously. But, you know, are they definitely a wooden spoon team? I, I don't think so because, to me, 
the departure of Anthony Seabold and his assistants, his high performance managers, all of that, I do feel that's going to have a big impact, not because of Kevin Walters being the savior and he's the coach who's going to save us because I really don't rate Kevy as a coach. Um, I think he will be good for the Broncos in that he'll instill a bit of pride in the jersey. They'll they'll probably not fall away the way they did and, and just give up, you know, 30 minutes into a game like they often did last year. Uh, so do I think they're going to get blown out by 50-plus points week on, week off? I don't. But to me, you know, if I say that, a lot of people just think you're just the Broncos fan. But, you know, I try to be objective as I can. I'm not always going to succeed. So that's why the two of you here are going to pull me up <laughs> when I do that. But well, we've got plenty of time to dig more deeply into the teams itself. But look, I think it's really interesting to hear both your perspectives on it. To me, I do feel 2020 is more of an outlier just because of the so many things that changed mid-season. Like, well, not even mid-season, straight after round two, before round three. I mean, I think, Joe, the point you made about following round two, you know, Broncos being 2-0, and no, beating one of the preseason, you know, I wouldn't say favourites, but the Rabbitohs were considered to be, you know, a potential top four team. Beating them as you said, third favourite for the premiership by the bookies. So, you know, people were putting money on them, not just talking about them for Supercoach versus whatever. Um, to, to go from that to the mess we saw at the end of the year, like that's, I just don't see that happening in a normal season where there's not a two and a half, three month break in the middle where rule changes, are, um, you know, happen where maybe the coaching staff aren't able to adjust properly prepare the team and train the team properly as well as other teams who have obviously been able to adjust on the fly and you know those teams are the ones who are well coached they've got some of the best coaches in the game looking after them and and obviously they went on uh and, and guy obviously you know feel free to speak about your beloved storm if you want this is your chance nah you have had like 10 years of them just being dominant so i'll, I'll look it out for the minute yeah, that's good. The Bulldogs fan in me is crying already. So. <laughs> Look, I was going to say, you know, it's interesting that we've got, you know, a Storm fan, so obviously premiership uh, winners, and then you got the 15th and 16th place teams. Uh, it's okay, guys. Nick, Nick Kotrick's going to solve all our problems. Don't you worry. <laughs> uh, what do I say? Dale Copley and David Mead's going to sort out problems. <laughs> Uh, let's let's move on before I cry in the corner here. <laughs> Look, I, like I said, you know, I think you know. Hopefully, that sparks some discussion, some interesting points for you guys to think about. I do think that's probably a question each supercoach should have a think about and work out in their own head, because the answer to that probably will determine how you approach your team structure and player selection for twenty twenty one. But look, we are deep in the preseason, as you say. I'd like to hear from both you guys because we can talk about players and analyze teams and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, what's the saying? You can, you can, you know, give a guy a, a loaf of bread or, or a piece of fish and, you know, they'll have a meal, right? But you teach them how to fish, they've got, they can, they can do this for themselves, right? Uh, I probably butchered that, uh, that, that saying. Yeah, you but I think you guys have yeah, right. It's a shocker. Give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. I knew I've got you got you on for a reason, Joe. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, put my big but look, brain away. So, so I think I'd rather spend more time talking about you know how we do things, and hopefully you guys can build on that, and and obviously we can teach you guys how to 
you know, super coach and you guys can do better than us moving forward. So what does your preseason prep usually look like? Might start for yourself, Guy. I've, I've kind of started it. I've, I, so obviously, I don't, I, I, I'll put my hand up here. I pay for the um, super coach gold. I know there's the stat site, but for me, it's just, it's just too easy to go in and check around on that. So I do pay for that. Um, so I've, I've got the team picker. So I've pretty much gone in and just the guys for me who I'll, I'll have locked in who and who won't move, they'll that they're already locked in and saved and I know it gets wiped and that or whatever, but I just like having it there. Then I've I've got I make a list of the possibles. I like looking at the stats from last year and just seeing some of those top scorers. And if you go back through the years and check where they've finished ranking, I'll generally pick a couple of guys from there because they've shown proven consistency. So obviously last year, say a bloke like Lomax had a massive season, but the year before there's been guys who've had massive ones and fallen off. So generally I like to see a little bit of form and I'll pencil them down, obviously as guys I'd I'd like to have in. And then I'll just fill the rest of the team out with – like just reported rookies and stuff like that, just to have a um, skeleton side. And then obviously um, go through the draw, see see some matchups. I, I like going through some of the um, stats from the side and seeing like um, players' touches on the ball or where they scored tries and just seeing if there's any changes to teams that might change that, which you then can't. Um, really buy into it. So if a defensive center goes to a new team, then you can you could probably disregard a couple of tries that are going to get down that end, down that edge, which probably wouldn't have the year before or whatever. So I try to work that in. But at the end of the day, picking your research is fine. But come team list Tuesday, a lot of it goes out the window, and I just sort of pick the the ch- the cheapest guys playing because obviously that's where you're going to make your money and again I, I have the strategy generally of um cheap cheap centers and um I, I, I like to go cheaper in the halves to like two at least two guns and then the cheaper halves so if Sam Williams plays obviously he'll be in the side and then I'd I'd still like to stack my forwards so that's probably the same process I'm going to run through this year all right, so you said earlier with the team picker, you talked about, you know, you go through, you pick you pick, you pick your guns and you lock them in. So the guys that you know you're definitely going to have there. So, I mean, how, what's your process in picking those guys? Is it just based on what you watched in, you know? Yeah, so some, sometimes it's it's not based on their stats so much from last year. So obviously if it was based on stats, you, you probably wouldn't pick, say, a turbo or whatever. But um, there's no way, I, I, especially at that price, I can't start without him because you just see what he does when he's healthy. And I don't care what everyone anyone says. He's more dangerous for me of getting a massive score than what Tedesco is. So, yeah, I just, I just pick those guys who I think have good attacking potential in the backs. And then I like to have, obviously, um, Joe said earlier, the middle guys normally go better and they do with their base. But... I'll, I'll generally pick those uh, at least one of those or two of those higher middle forwards that averaged well last year. So like maybe a Ken McInnes or a Murray, but obviously 
with Arrow there, you've got to watch that. So that's the sort of stuff I'm talking about where you have to make changes with team news and that. But um, I'd, I'd still like to have an, a good edge and Crichton's been a favourite of mine. So I'll, I'll still fall back on guys like that, like who've just proven they can play footy really and then just go from there. I don't really look too much at the stats for those for the locks. I just have those guys at my core and go from there. Yeah, look, I think, you know, we, we've spoken many times where you're more of the eye test type guy here and I like to crunch the numbers, but it's interesting just to, to hear that still, even when you're picking, you know, which gun you're going to go with, you you generally rely on the eye test still there as well. So, you know, true to your strategy, true to your style, I think that's a, it's good to know there. Joe, I'll jump over to you. I mean, do you have a particular area you focus on in the preseason? Like, are you looking more at the rookies or is it? Uh, do, you, do you try to cover everything or no I've, I've learned through back before I had a heap of gray hair that um, trying to go uh, uh, too hard on your rookies in your team uh, only for your round one teams to be completely different um, I, I tend to wait pretty late on my rookies like I've got a general sense of the pecking order but that can all go out the window when te- round one teams are named, particularly in a season like this one where there's a lot of new head coaches or, or kind of just, you know, shake-ups happening in general that, um, you know, you don't want to spend too many brain cells on, on you know, in January on what, what your rookies are going to be. I, I find what's worked for me is when I've zeroed in on players that are undervalued and all their circumstances changed. Um, you know, last year it was... Ponger and, and Pappenhausen at the back, uh, you know, Ponger was kicking. It had a couple of injury-affected low scores, so he was undervalued. Pappenhausen obviously had all that time off the bench, even though he scored well and he was undervalued. So there was there's kind of maybe five or six players I'll, I'll just instantly have in, and they're just going to be locks for the side, and that kind of determines where I go with, with allocation of resources. Because, again, you know, more than anything, Supercoach is a stock market that you've got to play, right? You've got to increase your team value and you've got to make sure that, you know, at least through mid-season that, that um, you know, the cash is flowing pretty well. So identifying value for money is probably, you know, my number one priority when putting the team together. So obviously that will require a bit of number crunching yourself. So going through the stats and obviously looking at the starting prices and things like that. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm probably uh, got one foot in either camp between yourself and Bear in that, um, you know, I'll look at the numbers of Jai Arrow and, and you know, look that, that Wayne Bennett's got him down there on big money and, and Bennett likes to play his lock kind of in the 60-minute range, which obviously is a lot more than what he played last year. He's undervalued, but then I also, you know, take the eye test and and I understand that Wayne Bennett's insisted that he's not going to have that effing stupid haircut anymore. And, uh, you know, for that reason, I think he'll do better. So the the takeaway from that is that uh, mullets uh, impact performance, but I think Angus Crichton's a counterpoint to that, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure that uh, if you laid them down side by side that anything that Gus came up with would could compared to what Arrow was rocking uh, last year, that was that was a mullet and a half. That was the worst haircut I've ever seen. So if that's in the rear view mirror, much more happy to pick him. Good thing 2020 is over, isn't it? For sure. All right. And, and I guess for me, I certainly don't disregard the eye test. Please don't get me wrong. Like, I think, you know, this is where I was saying like, I went away from my process where I've, you know, probably spent less time crunching the numbers and working out the stats and 
focusing on the base and base attack because that is what you know a lot of my teams are usually based upon the base and base um, base attack uh, and and I select a lot of players based off that so yeah I think that's something I will definitely be digging into as always uh, working out the guys who you know and, and similar to yourself Joe like looking for value so guys who might even just in base and base attack alone could be underpriced and and then you, you know any any attacking stats on top are just a just a sweetener there so you know finding those types of players are absolute gold uh, and that, that's a lot of stuff that I like to do in the preseason. I think for me, yeah, look, I, I'd love, I like to read about rookies and find them out, but I certainly don't put them in my team or whatever. I'm generally very uh, conservative when I pick my um, first draft teams and things like that. I might only have like one or two, maybe three bottom dollar guys uh, in my team, and I'll usually start off with a bunch of guys who, you know, might be a little bit above, uh, you know, the, the bottom dollar options so that, I pick a more realistic draft team and then, you know, if we do get a bunch of rookies fall into our laps and that's much easier for me to, you know, drop one down and obviously gun up. So, yeah, I think that's where I do focus a lot in getting mid-rangers into my team and, and, you know, maybe the not the quite premium gun. So that's often where, you know, my starting team, I'm not going to have the likes of James Tedesco who, and I know this is no doubt a controversial topic and we no doubt we'll talk about this in more detail later, but I can honestly say I don't think I'm going to have Teddy from round one, uh, despite what he did last year. That that starting price is just way too much, and that's very much because of the way I play my super coach. So, yeah, I think for me, I've learned to, like you said, uh, Joe, just do less uh, of obsessing over the teams and, and trying to you know make draft team after draft team. I feel like the more I tinker, the worse my team gets. So I generally just uh, spend more time reading about players, looking crunching numbers and then you know if i get sold on a player i'll put him on a draft team and I'll, I'll adjust my team to, to add them in but i'm not going to just keep playing and making team after team for fun yeah and just to you know i don't want to labor the point too much because there is a flip side to that when i look at you know a, a player particularly at a gun price because you know money's pretty tight for around one team you know the first question i ask myself is what's the likelihood that this person will you know perform at or exceed what he did last year. Um, oftentimes that stands me in good stead, but it also blinds me sometimes because if I followed that logic and I did follow that logic, I was really, really late on Ryan Madison uh, last year where, you know, any reasonable person looking at him going, well, what's the chances of him actually exceeding what he did at the Tigers? Pretty low, but um, he managed to do that and, and I was pretty late to the party on him. So, yeah, I don't think there's a flawless strategy and, and that's why we all love Supercoach. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So uh, I guess for, for the coming couple of weeks, uh, once the game opens, no doubt we'll make teams and things like that. But, you know, we'll spend some time talking uh, we're going to have a certain number of episodes, hopefully, but and we're also going to try to get some guests on to do some deeper dives. So I guess plans, I mean, you know, when each episode comes out will depend on when our uh, guests are available, but we're certainly going to do a deeper dive into some of the more uh, detailed stats and numbers about 2020. And, and, you know, we've spoken about how the game was faster, but it'd be interesting to know how much faster it was and, you know, maybe how many more play the balls there were and things like that. We might be able to dig into a bit more information on that. Uh, we're certainly going to dissect the injuries, uh, you know, postseason uh, surgeries and preseason recoveries, and no doubt we'll get our everyone's favorite NRL physio on to do that. 
And as always, we do a bit of a preseason chat with um, you know everyone's favorite uh, late mailman, Wacko's Whispers, uh, who always um, identifies some real gold rookies for us to be able to talk about. Uh, so we'll certainly dive into that as well. But I think, yeah, sim- rather than you know going on a team by team breakdown of every single player in the game and who people have in the development squad and all that, I think we'll spend more time maybe talking a bit more about the structure of our teams and how we formulate our teams for round one and a bit more planning in that regard. So, yeah, I think that'll be the next couple of episodes as we come up. And obviously, yeah, make sure you subscribe uh, to the podcast so that when they do drop, you'll be able to get them straight into your podcast player of preference. So I think we'll probably wrap up um, our first podcast here. Like I said, I wanted to do a bit more talk um, you know, just to recap last year and also just maybe work out where we stand on 2020 in itself as a Supercoach season, as an NRL season, uh, because, yeah, like I said, it's going to have a big impact on what we're going to do for 2021. So as always, I do want to finish up by giving our Patreon subscribers a bit of a shout out. We do have some pretty exciting stuff coming up for this year. So we're, I mean, we've always uh, previously just had a, a simple flat fee um, for everyone who joins, we're going to structure it a little bit differently for for next year. So we've got cheapies, mid-rangers, and guns. So cheapies is just the basic asset access. You get access to the champions Discord and all the channels and all the content that people you know post up in there. So people do their own research. They post there and they share the gold and all that type of stuff. Uh, at mid-rangers, you obviously get the Discord access, and then you get access to all our champs-only podcasts and any articles that we do put out. And lastly, the gun tier, we've got all of the above, basically, and then you do get some priority access. So for the guns, there are only 25 available. Um, That means when I talk about priority access, that is, you know, any questions you have, uh, you will get them answered, basically, as a priority. Uh, It's almost like you get a bit of a hotline uh, to to the podcast and, and getting your answers dealt with all the time. So like I said, it's obviously limited access uh, for those. So these things will be uh, released on our Patreon um, once the game actually releases. So keep an eye out for that. So that's a couple of things that will be available for the Patreon. Uh, so if you've got interest into that at all, uh, definitely hit us up on Twitter. Pro- probably go for me at CatfishSC. I'm usually the more active one on social media. So yeah, message me if you'd like to know more about that. But we do uh, really thank the champions who are already on board with us. Uh, we really appreciate the support for everything, you know, even sticking by us last year. Uh, we've had a pretty fun off season. We've done some cool things there as well. So, yeah, look, I think that's a great first episode, boys. Uh, hopefully a sign of things to come. And I'm really excited for 2021. I'm, I can't wait to put 2020 behind us in the rearview mirror. I think it'll be a great year. Thanks, guys. Thanks for inviting me on. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. It could be on the walls of the heart.